Have you ever made a decision that you did not think was all of that important, and later on you realized that it was very important and God used it to change things in your life? Anybody ever done that? Okay. Well, she's going to tell you about one of those situations in our life. I know he always gets really nervous when he hands me the microphone. He's like, oh, yeah. He's probably concerned about when he's going to get it back is what he gets nervous about. Yeah. But he talked about uh, making decisions and, you know, something that we teach our kids as they're growing up. And parents, you've you've done this, I'm sure. We used to tell our kids every decision that you make has a consequence. It has a big consequence or it may be a small consequence, but it has a, a consequence. And you have to remember that when you're making decisions. And, of course, we make decisions, you know, the, the minute our eyes pop open in the morning, we're starting to make decisions. What are we going to have for breakfast? Do I get up or hit the snooze? You know you do that one. Uh, you know, so it, it starts immediately. But sometimes our consequences, our, uh, our, ha- our decisions have huge consequences, and sometimes they have really small ones. Um, and I'll give you an example of a huge one uh, before I get into the one that he's referring to is um, um, I had a cousin uh, who was probably, she's a little bit, she was a little bit older than me, but she was probably one of the most gifted musicians you would ever meet. A voice, she could gone anywhere with that voice. Uh, keyboard ability, she went to the college on full scholarships. She was so gifted. And in her early 20s, she went to a party with some people and made a very small decision. One try of cocaine. The next 20 years, 10, I think it might have been more than 10, but the next decade at least, she was lost in that addiction. And she lost her career. Uh, she lost everything. Uh, she was in jail. Uh, it, was, it was tragic. The good news is that she did repent later. She made that decision to go back to her Lord. She made that decision to profess that she needed him in her life. And he set her free, and she lived the rest of her life with him. And it's, it was a, a beautiful testimony. And she was super quick to tell you her testimony, too. But it just took that one little decision that she thought was quite innocent to get her off track for at least a decade, if not longer. Uh, and it cost her. It cost her a lot. Um, um, and so I, I just want you to understand that even a small decision is powerful. Even a small decision can have consequences that affect us uh, for long term and have uh, powerful repercussions in our lives. Um, back when we were kids, uh, we, as he mentioned this morning, we were, we were sweethearts in second grade all the way through school. Um, I think we broke up once for about 15 minutes, uh, and then there was a couple of other times. There was one time in the fourth grade when he called over another girl on Red Rover. We had, we had a moment then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, so there were some, you know, but for the most part, it was from second grade all the way through school. And as we were approaching dating age, um, I grew up in church, was there every Sunday, I mean, on the front row. I mean, we went, if you were sick, get a Kleenex, you're going to church. I mean, it was, that was kind of how it was. And I appreciate that. I value that because it taught me the importance of coming to church and being with my church family. Uh, Greg did not grow up in that. He, had a, he came from a loving, kind family, but they were not churchgoers. And so as we were approaching dating age, I knew my mama was not going to let me go out with him on a date if he was not a Christian. Uh, um, and so I was on a mission 
I was on a mission. Uh, uh, youth pastors used to call it missionary dating. That's when you date somebody to try to win them in the kingdom. I don't know. It's not suggested. It's not, you know, it's not a good idea necessarily. No. And it's frowned upon. Uh, but uh, so that was my purpose. I, I was trying to get him into church. So I invited him to a Christmas program. He came. The guy beside him raised his hand in prayer. And Greg left. I think you left because you were. I didn't leave. I just did like this. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and so finally, I, I talked to him when, and during the summer of our, right before we turned 15, during the summer, I talked him into going with me to a youth rally that was going on in Dyersburg. And uh, it took some talking. I had to convince him to go. Uh, and the only reason he went was so that we could be together. And he told everybody that was the only reason he was going. And so uh, uh, it was June, and you turned 15 the end of June, so it was right before you turned 15. So it was the, what was the name of that choir? Maranatha Choir from yeah, South... Maranatha, it was a, a, a group, a musical group from Southwestern. Yeah. Uh, Assembly of God. It was, a, it was actually a CA rally that we used to call them way back then. And uh, it was a group called uh, Maranatha. Maranatha. So they did musical... Drama, music, yeah. Music, yeah. Like so they were there, and so we were sitting and listening to them, and I was very moved by it. Uh, he, I couldn't tell what was going on with him. I, you know, I was just kind of trying to pay attention to hear. And at the altar time, everybody stood up while they had the altar, and then I felt him move. And I thought, great, he's leaving. That's really essentially what I thought, my powerful faith here. <laughs> you know, great, he's leaving. And I watched him walk to the end of the aisle past people, and I watched him turn, and I watched him walk up to the front. Now, this is a guy that my mother probably would, uh, would not have appreciated, the fact that he was hanging out with the wrong people. He was doing the wrong things. He was in the wrong crowd. And I knew she was going to find out about that because she worked at the school. So I was kind of on a time schedule, you know, to get him converted, you know, to get to win him. But, but I watched him walk to the front of the, of the, of the auditorium, the, the sanctuary. And I was just standing there with my mouth hanging open, I think. I saw him kneel down, and I saw him broken. And he stayed there, and he stayed there, and people were from our church group, from our youth group, were running up around to surround him, and I was just standing there like, what, you know? And, and when he stood up, when it was over, and he turned around and looked at me, he looked different. He looked different. That was the result of a decision that he made to go with me, a small decision, because I invited him to go. I made the decision to invite him. He made the decision to go, and his life was changed forever. My life was changed forever. So, that's right. Man, so small decisions can turn into big impact. And so that's one of the things we want to talk about tonight. So, anyway. So, prayer. Being, having a habit of prayer. We want, I wanted to, to encourage you to make the decision to become more of a prayer warrior than you've ever been. It may seem like a small decision, but it can make a massively huge impact in your life. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Um, we had, uh, we had another thing that I've, I've talked about in this, uh, in this teaching is that uh, one time, uh, years and years ago at Cornerstone, we made a, what we thought was a small decision because there was, uh, we found out that there was an elementary school in South Haven that had 94% of the students were living below the poverty line. And so we didn't realize that until we had heard about it. Once we heard about it, we prayed about it, and we made what we thought was a minor decision to just begin to try to be a blessing to that elementary school. And the very first year and years and years after that, we, we basically uh, 
did everything we could to try to help them. We had helped them do a, a teacher's uh, area to have coffee and different things like that. We, uh, we would come in at Christmas time. There was 800 students in that elementary school, and we bought Christmas presents for every single student and would come in and bring them and deliver them uh, the week before they got out for Christmas break and also gave presents to the teachers and the administrators and those kind of things. And we thought it was kind of a small decision, but it ended up leading to a situation where we had adopted that school basically for a lot of reasons, but we also ended up working with 12 other schools in DeSoto County. And so it became a very big outreach. And so what we thought was a small decision made a huge impact. And so I want to encourage you, this week of prayer, what the Lord speaks to your heart, make the decision even if it seems small, but be ready because when he's leading you to make a decision to grow closer to him, it can be a major impact in your life. And so anyway, so we want to talk about consistency in prayer and the habit of prayer. You know, we've all got habits. When you think about it, uh, uh, you, how many of you, you ever have, have a habit of like uh, used to bite your fingernails, anything like that, or just all kinds of other habits that we have? But the thing about it is we need to make sure that we have healthy habits in our spiritual life. And those things become things that become a routine and a rhythm in our lifestyle. And so the more consistent you are, I mean, we've all, we've all seen people who uh, would maybe... Uh, lose a lot of weight but not be consistent, gain it back, or go to the gym and start working out, getting more healthy, but then stop and whatever. You know, quit smoking and be doing better and then start back, quit drinking and start back, all those kind of things. So you need to be consistent in decisions that you make for the Lord. And one of those decisions that everything else is going to be affected by is the decision to be a prayer warrior the decision to live a lifestyle of prayer. That's what I want to talk to you about for the next few minutes. And so I want to talk about three things with regards to prayer, several key elements that we need to focus on with regards to this. And the first one, if you're taking notes, the first one is motivation. Why should we pray? What should be our motivation? Our goal is not just to be religious people. Our goal is not just to be church members. Our goal is to be a Christ follower. And in a practical sense, in order to be a follower of Christ, there are some things about the Lord that we need to know. And interestingly enough, um, I realized when I, when I pulled these notes out that the first scripture that we're going to talk about tonight was actually in the passage we read this morning, in the message this morning. And so Matthew chapter 14, verses 20, uh, verse 23 you remember this if you were here. It says, after he dismissed them, he went, talking about Jesus, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And so how many of you remember that scripture from this morning if you were here? Okay. And so he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Now I want to share a couple of other scriptures. Luke chapter 6 verse 12 says, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And so one of the things that, uh, that the Lord has really blessed me with is I love going to the mountains. <laughs> and, uh, and when I'm in the mountains, I love praying. I love praying in the, in the valleys as well. But uh, anyway, and then also in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, 
It says, very early in the morning, while it was dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And I want to, I want to share a little something that's not in my notes. The Holy Spirit just dropped it in my head. I've used it before. I want to look at this word solitary. And we'll talk about the, the noun of, be, of being in solitude. And so Jesus did this. It was a part of his habits in everyday life. He got away from the crowds and he spent time with the Heavenly Father. He spent time praying to God and being fellowshipping with God. And the thing about it is, though, if, if, the, if Jesus needed to do that, don't we think we would need to do that? And so, anyway, but one of the things that I want to share with you is this, that I believe that Jesus did this as an example for us, but also because he needed to. Uh, he was here as a fully human, but also fully God, but he had basically laid down a lot of his divine uh, characteristics and abilities to be able to live a life on this planet as an example to us of what a person could do and what they look like when they are 100% committed to obeying God. So anyway, he would go into places of solitude and pray and spend time with our Heavenly Father. And then he would come out into the multitudes and have miracles flowing from the ends of his fingertips. He would come out into the multitudes and he would preach the kingdom of God's principles. He would come out into the multitudes and heal people, deliver people, cast out demons. He would come out into the multitudes and do all these other kind of miracles. But I want to just remind you of this. I believe that what Jesus did in the multitude came from his time in the solitude. If you are, if you are spending time with God on a regular basis in solitude, then God can use you out in the world to do things for him that you never thought you'd be able to do. And so anyway, that's just a little extra note that wasn't in the notes. So anyway, uh, there's a sampling of verses we just read to describe the prayer life of Jesus. It's clear from reading these scriptures that he was very committed to the discipline of prayer and he made it a consistent, everybody say consistent, he made it a consistent habit in his daily routine. And according to the scripture, even though Jesus was fully God, he, became, he was born on earth, he laid aside certain aspects of his divinity, and he was fully human. So in, the, in essence, he lived his life as a man empowered by the Holy Spirit to live in complete submission and obedience to God. If Jesus needed to spend that, it's kind of a, re, a repeat of what I just said a while ago. If Jesus needed to spend that much time in prayer, doesn't it seem obvious that we might need to develop the same habit? One last thought along this line. The only way that you can physically follow someone, matter of fact, I'm going to do a little, a little illustration here, and I need, a, I need a volunteer. All right, now, what you just saw, what you just saw, what were you thinking? She didn't follow him. Why did, how do you know she didn't follow him? All right, that's the point. Okay, you guys can come back and sit down. You can't follow anyone in this physical realm unless you are walking the same pathway. And if you want to be a follower of Christ, you can't follow him and be a follower of Christ unless you are choosing to walk the same pathway of obedience, 
the same pathway of daily spending time in prayer with your Heavenly Father. And so that's, that's basically one of the things that every church in the world needs to understand and needs to remember. It's not just about occasionally showing up in a building and singing some songs. It's not just about wearing a Christian T-shirt. It's not just about having you know, Christian stickers on your bumper of your car. It's not just about those things. It's not just about being what seems to be a religious person. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to follow Jesus and walk the same path, the example that he set. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. And so, anyway, he lived the habit of prayer. So, that's number one. That's the first point. That's motivation for those of you that are obeying God and taking notes. Uh, all right, the second point in the, in the teaching here on this one is benefits. What do we gain by praying? Well, the first thing that I want to talk about that we gain by praying, if you're taking notes, is inward transformation. Inward transformation. Prayer is the primary avenue that God uses to transform us. Anyone who is willing to change will quickly abandon any, I'm sorry, anyone who is unwilling to change will quickly abandon any serious effort in prayer because being a person in prayer consistently, the Holy Spirit will encourage you and show you things in your life that need to change. So the time that we spend in intimate fellowship and communication with God creates profound changes in our character changes our attitude, changes our perception of life, changes our desires. And so I want to throw in another little nugget here that wasn't originally in these notes. And uh, so, uh, Nancy, you, uh, you're going to come up and read. In the book that I wrote, there's a section in one of the chapters where I dug into a word, and I'm going to do that in a moment, but she's going she's gonna to set up the, the teaching of that with, uh, with a story about when we were in elementary school, and it leads to the teaching that I'm about to do in the word transformation. For many people, the first thing that comes to mind when they hear the word metamorphosis is the profound sequence of changing that occurs in the life cycle of a caterpillar that causes its transformation into a butterfly. I remember a science project in grade school we captured some caterpillars and put them in a glass jar with twigs and a lot of leaves for them to eat. Then, as the days passed, we observed them moving from the caterpillar stage to the chrysalis stage. We watched and we waited and with great anticipation for the day when each chrysalis would burst open and out would come a butterfly, beautiful, colorful butterfly. It seemed like magic to a group of elementary school students. We could not fathom how a little worm-like creature could stuff itself by eating constantly and then form the hardened chamber in which it would basically be reduced to a semi-liquid state. Then as the structural features of the butterfly begin to form, it would emerge with virtually no characteristics of its former self. Metamorphosis is not about minor tweaks or outward adjustments. It is a complete and total transformation from the inside out. It is interesting to note that everything, every bit of DNA and every molecule of, gener of generic material needed to produce a creature that could take flight and soar on the wings was always present within that chubby little caterpillar. Thank you very much. 
I remembered this when I was writing the book. Um, and uh, for those of you, when you get to page 32, those of you that got the book, that's where that, that's where that is. Uh, but I, I remembered when I was writing the book that of being in that class, and we had those jars with the caterpillars up in the window and waiting for them uh, you know, just kind of we would, the teacher would be kind of putting things in there for the caterpillars to eat, leaves for them to eat and stuff like that. Then we'd wait for them to, to be able to do the chrysalis and go in there. And all of a sudden there's just, there's caterpillars not there anymore. There's a chrysalis in there. And all, you know, and then a little bit later we would wait for the butterfly to work its way out of the chrysalis and come out and fly out of the jar. So that must be something that was a, a very intense memory for me because I remember it from elementary school. But I want to take you to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and I want to do a little bit of a nugget that you may have never heard before. There are so many nuggets in the scriptures, so much treasure in the scriptures that we have often overlooked. You've, you're very familiar with these verses if you've been to church a lot. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Everybody say that word, transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, I want to throw in a nugget here, a little teaching. I've got it in my, in my app on my phone. The word for transformed in that verse, and this is actually in, the, in that same chapter, in the book as well, uh, the word for transformed in in that uh, in that section in that in that verse is the Greek word metamorpho. Does that word sound a little familiar to you? Metamorpho. Actually, it's not right. Meta metamorpho. It's actually the correct pronunciation, uh, and that word means to transform or to be transfigured. Now, metamorpho is a double, it's, it's, a, a prof, it's, a, it's a kind of a compound word. The first part of it is meta, and the last part of it is morpho-o. Now, here's what metamorpho-o in the Greek means. And it's not just about being a butterfly, if it used to be a, a caterpillar. Here's what it means. This is the legit, direct, what this word means. It's the definition. Metamorpho in Greek means to be changed after being with. I want to say it again. To be changed after being with. What does that mean? In the context of that scripture, it means that our lives are changed after being with God. In the presence of God. That's another reason why we need to spend considerable, significant time in God's presence, in prayer, in personal worship in our homes, studying the Bible, 
And so that literally means that we are changed after being with God. And so that's what that word means. And so he means transformation. It means you're, you're not going to be transformed if you don't consistently spend time with God. And so anyway, now I want to throw in another nugget. hope we're not going to go too long because I'm throwing in stuff that's not in the notes. Another book that's on my list that I might write, uh, I've actually told some guys in the national office about it, and uh, Jay Mooney, I don't know if you know him, uh, Jay Mooney said, wow, you need to write that. So anyway, anybody ever heard of tithing? Okay. Now, Scripture talks about tithing, and, and we, you know, we understand that tithing is, is uh, in the Scriptures. It's when we tithe, we give the Lord 10% of the income that he flows into our lives. But I want to remind you of something. Money is not the currency of your life. Time is the currency of your life. And so I encourage people many, many times when I'm speaking to become a time tither. What do you think would happen in your life if you tithed of every day in your life. In other words, every day you have 1,440 minutes. That's 24 hours. 1,440 minutes that you can decide how you want to spend them. So that means if you were going to be a time tither, you would spend 144 minutes in God's presence in your devotions every day. Now that'd be if you're tithing off of the, you know, uh, not off the net, but off the gross. <laughs> Some people say, well, what if I just tithe about the time that I'm actually awake? Then you'd have to spend about an hour and a half. But think about it this way. How much do you think your life would be transformed if you literally cut some other things off of your habit list and began to spend 10% of your time in the presence of God? I believe Jesus was more than a time tither. And so I want to encourage you. It's a wonderful thing to spend a lot of time in the presence of God, because it will transform your life in a powerful ways. So inward transformation is one of the main benefits of having a consistent prayer life. And then also, there's another little nugget I want to share with you. In Psalm 34, verse, I'm sorry, Psalm 37, verse 4, it says this. You've heard this verse, if you're a, if you're a church member, you've been here for a long time. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Anybody remember that scripture? How many of you remember? Raise your hand. Delight yourself in the Lord, or take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Many times people read this verse, and their takeaway from it is, if I delight myself in God, he will give me whatever I want. But is this really what this verse is teaching us? To answer that question, we need to dive a little deeper into the text again. On the surface, our English translation of delight yourself or take delight seems like it means just to be excited, delighted about being in God's presence. And that's not wrong, but it's not complete. It's incomplete. The word delight in the Hebrew in this verse, is the word, it, uh, the transliteration is A-N-O-G, but it's pronounced onag, 
onag, and that word in the Hebrew means this, to be soft and pliable. It's not just about being excited to be in his presence. In the Hebrew, the word also means to be soft and pliable. What do you think that means? That means that you need to be receptive to being molded and changed and transformed in the presence of God. To be soft in this context, it's just like molding things. Like you've, you've ever seen people work with, uh, with clay, you know, molding clay and making little cups and bowls and things like that. The desires there uh, is the word in this verse is the word mishalal. And it means to request or petition. Here's the part that really makes us see this verse in a different way. When it says that he will give you the desires of your heart, the word give, in English, the, the transliteration of the Hebrew word looks like the name Nathan, but it's actually pronounced Nathan. And it means can, but it also means put, and it means give and it means set. So think about this just for a second. The English, to give, comes from the Hebrew word that we just talked about. And it can mean to give. But it also carries the meaning to put and to set. And when combined with the idea that we're supposed to be soft and pliable in his presence, it most likely means that if we are soft and pliable and receptive to God's instruction... He's not just going to give us whatever we want. What he's going to do is he is going to set the correct desires into our hearts so that we begin to want the things that we should want. And so this is actually virtually opposite of the meaning that most people get when they read it in English because they're not seeing all the truth that is in the Hebrew. And so in prayer, we begin the process, we begin to access the ability to see things from God's perspective. Our reality is enlarged, and we are enabled to escape the boundaries of our one-dimensional, self-absorbed way of interpreting our world. Through the centuries, people who have been greatly used by God to bring about significant changes in the world through God's kingdom have been people who were completely devoted to lifestyles of prayer. And I want to... Um, there's actually, I didn't give you all the details, but uh, on my website, I don't know if we've got that, that slide or not. If you want to put that up, this is the one that, there was a, there was a technical problem this morning, and uh, there's a, a website. My website is gregdavisonline.com, and on that, there is a devotional blog titled Divine Desires, and it basically is a study of that verse in, in Psalm 37 got a little more details in it. There's an email there under that. Uh, my Facebook page, Greg Davis, uh, and there's a Greg Davis, just a regular personal page, and then uh, Greg Davis author. It's actually not author in the front. It's author at the end, Greg Davis author. And then there's Instagram, stuff like that. But also, um, I want to let you know that there is, if you, sh if you can, you show, show that picture, the picture of the, uh, the divine desires. My YouTube channel was just launched about two months ago. And there is a video that's uploaded on my YouTube channel called Divine Desires, and it's about a 12-minute video of me teaching about that one verse. 
So if you'd like to check that out, you can look at up in the top there, the left hand there, that's the, uh, that's the logo, and it's called Treasures of Truth, but you have to put my name on it too because there's a couple of other people that have Treasures of Truth. So put Treasures of Truth with Greg Davis. You can look at that on YouTube, and you'll find my page. And uh, it's not just a podcast, but it's videos on YouTube. And so Divine Desire. So I just want to encourage you. There's more to that verse that you can learn if you either read that Devo blog or if you go and check that YouTube channel out. There's a lot of different things there. So, clearly, people that God has used in a great way were people of prayer. If you want to be used of God in a great way, you got to be a person of prayer. But also, if you want to really be a heart, a, a big-hearted, fully committed follower of Jesus, you have to be a person of prayer. And so, uh, the leader of the Protestant Reformation back in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, Martin Luther, is quoted as saying, this is one of the quotes from him, he said, I have so much business that I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. He literally said, if I don't spend three hours praying, I can't get anything done that God is calling me to do. And so, prayer is not a waste of your time. It is an investment of your time in the most fertile ground that you can do. The founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, is quoted as saying, God does nothing but in answer to prayer. There's a, an American missionary named John Hyde, H-Y-D-E, who ministered in what is today northern India and Pakistan back in the early 1900s, and he had two nicknames. The one nickname was the Praying Hyde, and the other one, his other nickname was Camel Knees. You may think, why was his nickname Camel Knees? Because his knees were so calloused from the hours that he spent in prayer every day. And he, he, had, an, he had a nickname of Camel Knees and the Praying Hyde. A huge benefit of prayer is inward transformation. A huge benefit of prayer is also outward transformation. Prayer changes the inward lives of those who pray, but it can also change the outward circumstances. John, I'm sorry, James 5.16 teaches us that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. This is a very interesting passage there, there is a very interesting passage in Exodus 32. In that passage, God had decided to destroy the people of Israel because of their continual wickedness and complaining. And then Moses prayed fervently that God would spare the people and show mercy. I want you to read the verse now in Exodus chapter 32, verse 14. It says, Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. What does that mean? God responded to the fervent prayer of Moses, and it changed the whole history of Israel. Often through the years, I've kind of had a joke saying, it's a, it's a good thing because there were certain times when God wanted to destroy Israel and it's other times when Moses is so mad he wanted to destroy Israel and it's a really good thing that God and Moses never felt that way on the same day. 
<laughs> because Israel would not have made it. And so anyway, God responds to fervent prayer of people who are committed 100% to follow him. And so uh, our prayers can make a huge difference. Throughout the Bible, we can see great impact was made by the prayers of God's people. God would not encourage us to pray if prayer was a waste of time. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 says, God referred to us as fellow workers. And the third point, the first one was motivation, the second was benefits, now the third one is opportunity. The last point will be very brief, in case you're wishing I was done. Um, it says, we have just as much access to God as anyone in the Bible ever had. There's no one in the Scripture that had more access to God's presence than you do. And so I want to encourage you, invest significant time in prayer, in worshiping the Lord in places other than in this building, but do it. make sure you do it here when there's services so you can worship together with your family of believers. But think about it this way. It's not just enough to worship the Lord only on Sunday in church. Think about it as if that was physical food. Would it be enough for you to eat one meal a week on Sunday morning and never eat anything else ever in your life? Would you be healthy physically? No. You can fast for a few days and for a while, but not for the rest of your life. And so think about it this way. It's also not enough to be healthy spiritually to only worship God in church. Be a worshiper in your private life. Be a prayer warrior in your private life. Be a student of the Word of God in your private life. And also, I want to encourage you again, this is my current journal. I've talked about the fact that I've got shelves and shelves in my office of journals all the way back to 1988. And so I want to encourage you, be a journaler. Write down the things that God is speaking to you. Write down the scriptures that you're reading and the things that he's teaching you. Write down your, your prayer request and the things that he's answered. Write down what your life is like as you follow the Lord, and you'll be very glad. These will be a treasure to you. If my house was to ever catch on fire, my parents' house burned down after we got married, and, uh, and so I understand what that's like. But if my house was to ever catch on fire, the first thing I would do would be make sure that Nancy, Colton, and Anna Grace were out of the house and out of danger. I'd make sure the dogs get out, but, but I would actually, the only thing I'd really worry about going in and getting would be as many of my journals as I could get in a box and get them out of there because I never would want to lose the journal of my journey with Christ all through these decades. So I want to encourage you. It's definitely worth it. And this is actually, one of the reasons I started doing this in 1988 was that I was in a class in Central Bible College called The Devotional Life of the Believer. And we studied people who were basically called church fathers and people who were totally used by God to change the world hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And many, many, many of those men of God and women of God wrote down what God was speaking to them in their journals. 
and they kept a devotional journal. And when I found out that they were doing it, I said, I'm going to do it. And I've been very, very blessed and very glad that I did. So I want to encourage you. Capture your journey in your journal. Okay, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. There's actually a nugget in this verse that I'm not going to teach you tonight, but it's actually on another video on my, on my YouTube channel. Um, Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Ephesians 3.12. In him... And through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. You have constant opportunity to access the very presence of the creator of the universe. The only question is, will you take the opportunity? And how often? Please be consistent in your prayer life. And it will change everything from the inside out.